Welcome to the Juggling Without Balls podcast. My name is Monica Parkin and I am your host. And every week on the show, I'm going to be talking to powerful, successful women who juggle it all. And when I say juggle it all, I mean everything, kids, health, aging parents, careers, relationships, you name it, we're going to talk about it. So stick around, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a seat and enjoy the show. Hello, jugglers, and welcome to another episode. It's my pleasure today to welcome Alina Fernandez. I've started to get to know Alina recently in one of her many roles as a speaking coach, and I got to hear one of her practice TEDx talks, and I was so inspired by that short 15-minute talk that she shared with us that I wanted to have her on the show. She is known worldwide as the Positive Mom. She's a best-selling author, internationally acclaimed storyteller, and award-winning mom entrepreneur. As founder of the Positive Mom community, she helps moms turn their painful stories into best-selling books, profitable courses, and well-crafted, impactful talks so they can earn passive income as inspiring messengers and digital entrepreneurs. Her award-winning emotional wholeness program inspires millions of moms around the world to break cycles, find peace, and feel whole. I think you're going to enjoy getting to know her as much as I have. She is one of the kindest, most inspiring, and engaging people I've met in a long time. Really looking forward to our conversation. Welcome, Elena. Thank you so much, Monica. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, I'm so happy to have you here. I've just been getting to know Alina the last few weeks at another community that we're part of, and she's also a speaking coach, and she's just got the most amazing insights and wisdom on things. But we'll talk about, we might touch on some of that, but really, I'd like to just start with your blog, since we're going to be talking about teenagers, but your blog is called The Positive Mum. And I'm familiar with your story, but for listeners that that don't know your story, can you just give me a little bit of background? Like what led you to create that sort of transformational space for where you really hold space for moms to, to grow in a positive way? Oh, thank you for asking that. You know, I've always been a storyteller. <laughs> Writing is how I've been able to process my emotions ever since I can remember. I started writing before I was three years old. So thankfully, writing saved my life. And the blog I started, you know, I found myself on the ground in the fetal position one day on a cold tile floor, thinking about taking my life, you know, that that actually is a recurring theme with with my childhood and my youth, and a big struggle in my life. And so I was soon to be homeless. I, I felt really desperate. I didn't have a bank account or, or money under the mattress either, right? And in this moment, uh, I just didn't know how to drive. I didn't have a car. I didn't have family in the United States where, you know, I was living in Florida in that moment in this sort of tiny room with my tiny ones, age, ages one and two, and I had just become a single mom and and I just didn't know what I was going to do. Like there was no answer. There was nowhere to go. And this, this dark place in my life and in a, a series of events inside of my head, inside of myself, I thought about something from a parable in the scriptures that I had read one day. And it was something about being 
And in that, that just clicked for me. I was just thinking so many things. And that moment of inspiration is like, I don't know what to do, but I know what I could be. And mm-hmm. that was, yeah, that was a magical moment of epiphany, in which I realized, you know, I don't know how to do a to-do list right now. I really can't come up with an answer to how I'm going to move forward, but I'm going to write a to-be list. And that was the first to-be list that I wrote. Beautiful. Yeah, I write I write it every day. <laughs> Sometimes in my head, if I can find the paper quickly enough, but having an intention of what I could be. And I remember, you know, the first thing that I wrote, and I, you know, it, it just was like a surge of energy, Monica, because I just got up and started writing like a maniac. You know, that's, that's like how I do it. And... I wrote, be positive. That was my first thing. So I kind of hung on to that. And also kind of like what that was the message that I needed then to save my life. And it it just stuck with me. So when I decided, you know, I am going to be on this journey. I want other moms to join me. And I want every mom that's feeling that moment of despair and darkness to have a glimpse of hope from, you know, my journey. And so that's, really how it started. And and I just want to say real quickly that my definition of positive has evolved <laughs> since that moment. You know, now I discover that it's all about being peaceful, present, playful, and what I call it on purpose, you know, having something else that drives you. And it's about honoring and validating who we are and creating what we wish to create from the inside out for ourselves and for our children, for our world. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And and the peaceful part really struck me because I recently had this kind of massive mindset shift a few weeks ago. I was listening to a friend of mine on a podcast and someone asked her what her definition of success was. And she said, it's peace. And it just hit me, like it hit me in the heart. And I'm like, yeah, it's not the next goal post and the next goal post and the next goal post. It's living with this sense of peace and, and purpose, you know, just living in the moment, feeling peaceful and, and with purpose. And I, that's kind of what you described to me, I think, in a, in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. And, and when we create that for ourselves and we live from that space, then everything is a ripple effect. So it's not really about how we raise and tactics and strategies and, and all the steps. It's really how we be, right? Yeah. How we operate. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. And I have a daily gratitude list. I hadn't thought about a daily to be list. Like I like that because it's kind of like putting that intention out there and and it's just there waiting for you, you know, this future self or this person that you're aspiring to be. And then you have this thing to live up to every day, right? Beautiful. Love that. And it, and then whatever you need to be that day, it will come up in that in that space of writing. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And as someone who really didn't start writing till I was, I think I wrote my book when I was 49 in the middle of COVID. Really, that's cool that you started writing at such a, a young age because that's just, I actually just had an author publisher on, I was recording her just like 15 minutes before you and talking about what made her write. And she said she'd always been a reader. She became a writer later in life, but it's like reading, you get to live in another world, writing, you get to create another world, like you, or, or, you know, put your dreams down on paper or whatever. There's something magical about that, 
that process. So, but getting to my next question. So you're an amazing, also for anyone who doesn't know, Alina is an amazing speaker coach. And as part of this community that I'm part of, I got to listen to her practice, one of her TEDx talks. And the topic, I was just riveted and I related to it. One of the things you said, and I don't remember how you said it exactly and what words you used, but you said how much it bothers you when people talking about like, I can't wait till my teens get past this stage, or I don't know how you phrased it, but I always hear that from people. I can't wait till they get out of the house or just wait till they become teenagers. It's awful. And I, I never relate to that. I love the teenage age. Like I've just loved every moment of it. And it's actually been one of my favorite stages of parenting. Like you get to have these deep, deep, meaningful conversations and watch them grow and turn into someone else. And I wonder sometimes like, why is this my experience, but not someone else's experience? And I have empathy for what they're going through, but I also, I struggle with understanding it. And do you have any, like, what's your thoughts on why, I know you have some thoughts about why people struggle with this, and this is going to lead into a whole conversation, but that's my, my question to you right now. Ah, well, thank you. And, and yes, I have four daughters. Two of them are little, you know, nine and three, and Everyone just comments how cute and adorable they are. And, and then, you know, it always adds to the, the, the follow-up expression. Wait until they become teenagers. So it's like, you know, they're cute now, but just you wait. They're going to turn into this monstrous thing that you're not going to love. And little do they know that I also have two teens. <laughs> And actually more like two young adults now, but, you know, it makes me so angry that that we talk about things in this way. And many of these people are well-intentioned, but they're also parents and grandparents of teens. And they proceed to tell you these atrocities about what things do and how horrible things are. And I understand, like you said, that that's their experience, but there are reasons why that happens. And I'll, I'll tell you something fascinating. It's a term that I learned for the Center for Parent and Teen Communication. They they do a lot of research about the teen brain, and they introduced me to this term called ephebiphobia. It's really hard to say for me. Ephebiphobia. Have you heard it before? I have not. And sorry, I muted myself because my cats were playing gymnastics on the other side of the door. So there was a pause there. We're just keeping it real here on this show. But no, I have not heard about that term. And I'd love to know what the meaning is. Okay, so brace yourself, because I was just in shock. Like I was my jaw dropped when I heard of this. And it's, it's actually the fear of teenagers or the loathing of teenagers. So it's a thing. There's an actual actual term for this. And for decades, teens are have been misrepresented in the media. They're, you know, if you watch a movie or or read a book, it's like they're shallow, careless, lazy, wild, reckless. And so the way we talk to our teens and about teens is based on this concept. And, and so yeah. I'm going to interrupt you and just say that I am guilty of having that phobia in the past and maybe still like I have this and maybe it's because as a teenager I didn't fit in so I think of teenagers as like a scary 
thing, but I was asked to teach public speaking to cadets. And I was telling my teenager, I don't know if I could do this. Like, I'm terrified of teenagers. Like, how am I going to stand in a room and teach a bunch of teenagers? But I got through that fear. I pushed through it. And it's been, it was the most amazing experience. I did it for two years. I got to know those kids. They were all phenomenal. But I was terrified. I'm like, is there going to be another adult there? Like, am I going to be all alone with these people? Yeah, I did too, because it's, it's kind of this unknown thing. And that's how I started learning about the teen brain and and understanding more the adolescents because we we just take it as face value like what they're telling us about teenagers and so you know like i said these people that say what until they become teenagers or talk about teens in a certain way they have bought into this societal picture that causes phobia, and that's what leads us then to abandon our teens and to judge them and to hurt them when they need it most because you know that's that's the tragedy in the teen years that's when they need the most support and people go from from you're adorable and you're cute and you can do anything wrong and look at those cheeks to like ugh, here yeah. we go again doing this thing yeah what i found what i really what really hit me when when you were talking was about how we praise toddlers for milestones right when they learn to walk when they learn to talk the first time they eat you're so amazing you're so awesome you're so cute the first time teenagers hit a milestone which might be for me it was first time my kid used sarcasm and rolled her eyes at me i had a momentary response where i was like i wanted to say don't do that and then i was like Oh my gosh, this is so amazing. Like you just, you just use sarcasm. I've never seen you do that before. Way to go. And, and when you gave that example of how like teens have these milestones where their brain is developing and instead of celebrating those and going, holy crap, you're hitting milestones. We immediately come down on them and punish them. Don't be disrespectful or don't do this or don't have your own thoughts. Don't have your own ideas. As soon as they they want some freedom and they start to cultivate independence, we immediately want to squash that down. And and so it must be very conflicting to be a teenager and get this mixed messaging like, yeah, you should develop. And also everything you're doing is is wrong, which in fact is normal developmental milestones. Yeah, yeah. And that and that is, you know, the key message that I want to share with everyone, because the thing is that not only do we struggle with this, you know, irrational fear of teens and irrational, exaggerated and sensational portrayal of young people. Uh, That is also inaccurate, by the way, because they are some of the most caring and courageous and creative and, and fantastic, interesting people, right? But the thing is that we struggle because most of us are carrying what I call unhealed wounds from my youth. So we are reacting from our traumatized brain, which means that we have an inner child that is traumatized or an inner teen that is traumatized, and we cannot be a rational parent or adult. And so there are two things working against those parents. So this takes a lot of work. So we're not like judging and shaming parents here. I felt that way, like I felt clueless because of that fear that we all have, like, what am I going to do when there are teens? I mean, people tell me, like, brace yourself, it's going to be an explosion of, you know, everything horrible. It's like more than a scary movie. And then, and then that compounds with our inability to really celebrate these milestones. And I'll tell you about that because we actually do it to them. 
So here we are we're with our teen and we say like, oh my gosh, I can't, I remember when you were so, when you were so cute and oh my gosh, look at these pictures. That was your, your first word and your first step and you are adorable when you, you said no to everything. And that was it's just so cute. And you threw food at me, the first, you know, your first food and you threw it all over the carpet and that was just hilarious. So we're like, sending the message that this is all past tense. Yeah. It's almost like that comparison to a sibling. Why can't you be more like your sister? Why can't you be more like this? You're kind of saying, why can't you be more like that little cute kid you used to be? And why can you be more like an adult? Because now you have these responsibilities and you have all of these, you know, milestones that we recognize, like, you know, graduating school is a milestone, driving is a milestone, and all of these ones that are okay by us, but the ones that are not okay by us are the ones that trigger us. Like when a teen, one of the main milestones is like when a teen relies on friends, a friend's advice, and peer advice, or when a friend chooses a parent versus, I mean, a teen peer versus a parent, or when a teen has an argument that is thoughtful and, and you know, the function of adolescence is to establish independence and, and identity. So they're going to argue for that or they're, you know, actually standing up for themselves and be practicing self-advocacy. The reason we resist those is because we are, codependent yeah we don't want them to to be away from us it's like we it triggers our sense of abandonment that we carry it triggers our sense of like we want to be needed because that's our trauma response so now that they're being their own person is scary to our brain we don't know what to do with that and so that's why you know in my blog i'm always and in my speaking and and everything that I do is always about healing those wounds for ourselves and being open with them about how we're struggling with that and and understanding that we need to celebrate them for those things like you said with the, the sarcasm it's like it's they're showing their personality, their identity, who they are, and it's so beautiful. So we need to say, like, oh my gosh, remember when you first argued with me, and yeah. you, this, you know, you wanted to go on a date with this kid or whatever? Yeah. Like that was cute. That's also important. Yeah, and it's almost like well, I often talk about how anger comes from fear, but it sounds like parents are responding from fear, and I relate to that. I remember like my teenage son stuck at home for two years in COVID. So I got them all to myself, like all the time. And then all of a sudden one day, like all the restrictions got lifted. He's like, I'm going out with my friends. And I remember this feeling of panic. Like, you can't do that. Like you have to hang out here with me. Like you can't do that. And then where are you going? And when are you going to be back? And, and, I, and I was just like, and he would just like felt so suffocated by that. And, and I felt so afraid. And and then I can see how quickly that fear can actually turn into an anger response. And now you're attacking your teen when in reality, it's your own fear that you're trying to battle, right? Yes. Oh my goodness. I, I have so many fear responses. It's not even funny. You know, I actually remember when Alicia, my oldest, wanted to learn how to drive. So I've been, I've had very traumatic experiences with driving or within cars, you know, and I know that you are familiar with some of them. And I was terrified for me, 
but I was projecting it onto her and, and, you know, it had to come a moment to tell her, honey, I trust you. Yeah. This is where I'm coming from with my fear because we need to be open so that they understand and they are, they can understand. They are understandable. They want to get it, but they can't get it if it's inside of us and we're keeping it in a secret. Yeah. So I told her, you know, like, I have this trauma. I have anxiety when I drive. And so I'm really afraid that, you know, you're going to be in a coma like I was or that, you know, something's going to happen to you out there in the in the scary world that, that my trauma created for me. You don't live in that world. Go conquer it. Yeah, she, beautiful. Oh, oh, driving was, you know, it still is. She doesn't yeah. get to drive too much in, in, in campus right now, but, but it's like, Driving was such an, a discovery and a beautiful experience for her. And as parents, sometimes we need to, you know, start mothering and stop smothering. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and that's what I used to do when, when, you know, and catching ourselves is great because we're never going to be perfect at this, especially because we have all these things that come from, from the past, but in recognizing uh, and wondering where am I coming from with this and then being open about this and vulnerable with your children, they're going to get it and they're going to be on your side because you're on theirs. Yeah, it's taking that pause and going like, where is this response really coming from? And then actually sharing with it like that willingness to be vulnerable and share your own fears so that they know where you're actually responding from. Yeah, yes. yeah. Another thing, and I'm just going to move on so we don't move out of time, but another thing you talked about is requests for connection, you know, that that they come in the strangest forms. I remember, I'm better at this now with my youngest kid because I maybe I'm an older parent or I've heard more about it, but that those requests for connection come in strange ways. And sometimes, you know, when the kids were younger and they'd ask me to play a video game with them or they wanted to talk about this new hyperfixation that they had, I'd be like, I don't have time for this. Like, And now when that happens, I'm like, oh, they want me to get into their world. They want me to come into their world and connect with them. And I need to drop what I'm doing and make this important. And I love that you talked about that. And can you talk a little bit about the ways that those requests for connection can happen and what that, you know, what ignoring that, what the impact of that is, you know? My goodness. Well, I just got chills when you said ignoring that, you know, I, <laughs> it's fascinating. I learned about, you know, you know, I, I studied positive psychology and a lot of a lot of neuroscience, geeky stuff, I call it. And one of the things, you know, when I learned about John Gottman, he's a psychologist. He's really, really powerful because he studied marriages and he could predict with, I think, 95 percent accuracy, which couples that went through his love lab, he called it his research, which ones were going to get divorced and which ones were going to make it. And so I learned about bids for connection, which was the way in which people request affection, like you, you said, request affection, attention, or affirmation. And I'm a single mom, so I, but I, everything I learn, I try to apply it to my kids. And so I started noticing that the girls, that's what I call them, <laughs> the girls used to come to me and say, like, look at this meme. And like, 
oh, I'm shipping so-and-so. And I was like, what is shipping? And then I learned that it has nothing to do with postal service, that it, shipping means like when you think that so-and-so are going to get together, like in a show. <laughs> And so I started, you know, becoming like a teen and saying, oh, I'm not shipping those two. I'm shipping this two and just being part of the world, like you said. And I actually conducted research. And in the survey, I did a survey for for people 12 to 25, which is, you know, there's a huge growth in the brain and development, almost similar to the toddler years in the adolescence. And I did this research and in the survey, I, I learned about things that people, you know, these young people do requesting for connection or how they perceive that their parent responds. And some of the things that I found was, yeah, you know, I'm telling my parent a favorite song that I have and to listen to it, or I'm telling my mom to play video games with me, or I'm telling, you know, I'm telling them about politics or about how my friend is struggling. And a funny one was like, I think that my parent loves me when they, he says that my fantasy football team sucks. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this banter. I didn't even think about that because, you know, I have my girls and we're not banter type. But I found that that anytime that they talked about requesting or accepting a bit for connection, it was something that was part of their world yeah. that we necessarily are not part of. So I, you know, in my talk, I go on to, to share the story of how my daughter, Alicia, wanted to be part of this poetry challenge, which was intimidating for me. And all of a sudden I realized in that moment, because now I stop and, and think about it, it's like, ooh, That's she wants to connect. Yeah, yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. I love that. Speaking of connecting and yeah, there's so many ways, like you say, even sharing a meme or like my son at this podcast, is like, you got to listen to this podcast. It's so great. You got to listen to it. I'm like, I don't like those kind of podcasts. And that, but he kept asking me and I'm like, you know what? He's asking me to connect with him where he's at. And so now when we drive, we put on that podcast and then we talk about it afterwards and it's turned into this like really special time between him and I, and maybe it's not my favorite podcast in the world, but those discussions that follow the podcast with him, I learned more about him in those discussions than anything else. Like we have such deep, deep, deep conversations. They are really cool. Well, I want to say real quickly, because you asked what happens when we, you know, ignore it. And I also did research about that with the teens. And one of the things that was fascinating is that they felt dismissed and invalidated because now not only you said, like I was about to say, like, honey, I have too much going on to do poetry right now. Like, I, this is not my thing. So when we do that, we actually crush them because we say, you're not important. Yeah. What you love is not important and you don't matter to me. And that's how I felt every single day of my childhood and my teen years. I mean, most of the day I was feeling like this, which is, you know, I loved school because it was the only place where I where I didn't feel that way. And and that just hit me so hard, like that just by saying no to looking at a meme or saying that's silly or something like that, I'm actually, you know, 
protecting my child and tell, sending them a message that that crushes them. So, yeah, that I'm not interested in you. That that your interests aren't important. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I can see that. I can even see that, like as a partner. You know, if I was really excited about something, and I came home and told my spouse, and they're like, "Well, that's boring. I don't want to talk about it." Like that would, that would hurt me, right? And so I can see how a kid who's developing and growing, and you want your parents' approval, and they're like, "No, no, I'm not into that." How that would that would crush you as you're trying to blossom into who you're becoming, right? Yeah. Yeah. The the best friend is like, tell me more. Yeah. That's the best friend in having a conversation with a teen. And and also when we don't agree, I know you know a lot of teens that that I talk to, their parents have different political views. And so it it causes friction, or maybe they're supporting a cause that's one of the developmental milestones as well. And you can find a whole list of this on the Center of Parent and Teen uh, for Parent and Teen Communication website. They have a whole list of the milestones, and so you don't see it like something wonderful because you don't, you have different views maybe. But I learned something from one of my mentors. Her name is Byron Katie, and it's the response. You could be right. Yeah. Yeah. You could be right. And just having that that beginner's mind, like, yeah. I don't know. I'm not going to agree with you right now. Or I don't think, I don't know where this is going, but you could be right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and I guess to that, like to withhold that desire to want to fix it. Because sometimes kids tell you something, you're like, oh, this is what you should do. This is what you should do. And that ability maybe sometimes to just say, like you said, you know, tell me more or how to, you know, like just hold space for them to just share without immediately jumping in with this is how I'm going to fix it or I'm going to judge this or that's horrible. You shouldn't hang out with those people. But actually, because the more you do that, the less they tell you. Yeah, you know, being open because we're not going to agree all the time and we're not going to get it all the time. Like I, I just, you know, I, I was a teenager in the 80s. So <laughs> this is like territory that I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So being curious, but also being vulnerable and saying, you know what, like, I don't really get that. And that wasn't the way that it was when I was growing up. So don't understand it. Could you explain it to me? Like, yeah. like you're 40. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. And, and and that's also creating another connection, right? Like inviting them to share their world with you. And just like, it's like going into a book and you find a whole new world. Opening a conversation with a teenager is a bit like coming into a whole new world, especially if, you know, you're like you and I, and you grew up in the seventies or the eighties, like it really is a new world. And to go into that world with an open mind and go, you know what, I'm just going to be here as an observer and to allow that connection to happen. Yeah. And wanted to say, you know, I, I have several TEDx talks and one of them, I was talking about validation, about being this space of silence, mm-hmm. safety, and, and also, you know, just seeing the other person and the thing about that is that because of our own issues we want to just fix or ease somebody else's pain so when you talked about that it really hit a chord for me because last mother's day well it was mother's day in my country which is the last sunday in may my daughter calls me and she's like oh mom you've been my mom and my dad and you've raised me on your own and you know i love you and this and that and so you know that's like really sweet and i felt so so validated but then she says something that i i was frozen when she said this she's like you want to know the best thing you did for me 
in all 17 years that I lived with you. <laughs> and I was like, well, that wasn't enough time. But, you know, regardless, it's like he said, remember when I was bullied? And of course, I remember. And, you know, when I came to you and opened my heart to you, you did not say anything. You just cried with me. You just cried with me. You didn't try to fix it. You didn't go mama bear on me. You didn't tell me that it was going to be okay. You didn't come up with a plan. You simply cried with me. You weren't strong for me were her, you know, actual words. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, that's what we must really provide is a safe space. Yeah. You know, and so that definitely makes a difference. And when we open up about our struggles and we say, you know what, like there was no social media back then, there was no internet, teach it to me like, like I'm discovering it today, like then when I was your age and, and also asking yourself, like, would I have felt what she's feeling? Because if we go and step into our own teen self, we I be I'm in, in amazement, like how evolved they are compared yeah. to what I was at that age. So really, like I, I'm not much for comparison, but like that little insight of I would say time travel yeah. will definitely put it in, into perspective for us. Yeah. yeah, wonderful. We are almost out of time here, and I don't want to keep you too much longer. But I know you have a lot going on. You've got a lot of projects on the go. You're blogging. You're speaking coach. You're doing TEDx presentations. You contribute as a volunteer at TEDx events. You know, marketing expert, keynote speaker. Like it's just this list that goes on and on and on. Two things. One is, I guess, if you had to give a parent one advice right now that's that's struggling with their team that they could take home today and start to use. And number two, for yourself, with so much going on. Like, what's the thing that you do to kind of ground yourself and 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 find that joy and that peace in your day? Okay, so it's it, that that is the same answer for both of those. I love because it. You know what? Like, the thing is that our trauma brain get, gets gets triggered, and it, we don't have the the intention. And so, whenever you wake up during your day, it's I have a practice that I teach and I. I shared in another one of my TEDx uh, talks is, is called daily date with pain. And so it takes just a couple of minutes because, you know, emotions only last 90 seconds it, to to kind of be, be processed in our body. That comes from Jill Bolte-Taylor. She is a neuroanatomist and brilliant. And I love her book. But you close your eyes, you get still and silence. Stillness and si- silence are your best friends. And just for a few minutes, you're going to first, the first step is, I call it see it, sense it, say it. The first step is to see it and you're going to recall something painful. It could be a traumatic memory. It could be a painful thought or anxious thought, or it could be something that is bothering you in the moment. And then the next thing you're going to do is you're going to sense it in your body, find it in your body very quickly. Where do you feel it? And it could be like your posture changed when you thought about it, or it could be a lump in your throat or whatever it is, but you're going to find it in your body. The third thing and the last thing is you're going to be your best friend. And you're going to use your name and you're going to say, in my case, Elena, that was hard for you. Or Elena, I see why you got so angry. Elena, of course you reacted that way. 
Elena, you know, you're going to use validating language to yourself, like, like an observer third party. And that is going to, you know, when you validate yourself, you're going to send say that sense of peace and that sense of, you know, of compassion for yourself. That's going to give you a different energy for the rest of your day. But it's also going to remind you how to be in the presence of your teen, how to be in the presence of other people. And already talked about the to-be list. That's another kind of add-on. If you have time to do that, it's going to be very, very helpful because, again, we're going to be playful and peaceful and present and on purpose during that day. Love it. That is a great exercise. Thank you so much. I'm going to put a whole bunch of links for you in the show notes, but do you have anything coming up that you want to share? Any events where where listeners can find you that you want to just sort of give us a quick verbal that they can go find and then also know that they'll be in the show notes? Thank you so much. I really appreciate everything, every word you've said about me, your your love and your beautiful questions that led to a beautiful conversation. Thank you for your time. And yes, if there are any parents that you know could use support and a safe space to kind of navigate this this crazy triggering journey of motherhood, I have a community for moms that's free to join. And so if you go to my website, which Monica is going to share, thepositivemom.com, there's a a link to join the community. It's a purple Q button. And so it's my gift to the audience if they feel that they can benefit from that. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. And yeah, Lina does have some TEDx talks coming up. I bet you can search her name on YouTube and find those in the coming weeks and months. If you get a chance to listen to them, they're they're going to be absolutely phenomenal. If the little taste that I got is any indication. Thank you so much for coming on today, especially as one busy person to another. I really value your time and your conversation. Thank you again so much. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us on the show. Just wanted to let you all know that I have a book out this year. It's called Overcoming Awkward, The Introvert's Guide to Networking, Marketing, and Sales. You can find it on Amazon, paperback, Kindle, and on Audible as an audiobook version. See you all soon. Have a great week, jugglers.